uh, we're going to be in Proverbs 14. If you have a Bible, let's turn there. And today we're going to cover 18 verses, and I finally have given up to try to do a chapter um, each time because I don't want to go too long for one. And then number two, uh, you guys know that basically when you're going through the Proverbs, every sentence is a sermon. And so if you really want to teach it, if we really want to get anything out of it, uh, you have two options. You can either go uh, longer and you can um, you know, teach each verse, or you can skip it, and I, I don't want to skip it. So we're going to just take a little longer going through the Proverbs. But we begin, first of all, in verse 1, Proverbs 14, where it says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Now, obviously, the context here is not building a house physically. We're not talking about drywall and that kind of stuff. Um, but we're talking about building a home uh, maternally, uh, building a home uh, spiritually, building a family for the glory of God. Now, these homes are not built with that type of walls. These homes are built with, built with wisdom. And so you ladies that are here tonight, some of you are right in the middle of it. You have a family. You have the kids. Um, maybe some of you, it's going to be in the future. And you really need to take this to heart. Like, will you be a wise woman who will build her house, her home, her family uh, for the glory of God? If that's your heart, then you're going to need the wisdom of God's word. And you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, later we're going to read in Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. It says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And so, you know, the, the setting the tone, you're, you're, you're creating this atmosphere, uh, the power of the woman of the house. We know that a man has a huge impact on the home as well, and I don't necessarily think one is more important than the other, but the wife and her role is so vital that the Bible refers to her as the homemaker. Because generally speaking, and there's a lot more to it, but you know, most of the time you got the guys that are out there, they're working, and you got mom with, you know, the, the kids and doing so much inside. I wanted to turn to a couple of scriptures. Um, if it's okay, turn to Titus chapter 2. And notice what we read here in Titus 2. In verse 1, he's giving instructions to the church, and he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temper, sound in faith, in love and patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste homemakers, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And, and there's a lot there. I encourage you ladies, if you're a wife, this is one of those scriptures that you want to memorize because you want to meditate on it because you want to be able to follow through because it's so important. But um, another passage to turn to, if you would, is 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
in verse 14, he says, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house. There's this, the same concept. Give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. And so, you know, he's talking about the older women admonishing the younger women. And more than likely what he's saying is that by the time you're a little older, you kind of learn how to do these things. You're actually good at it. You're so good at it that you can now pass the baton on to the next generation. You know, when we look at this here in Proverbs, the, the wife building the home, and, and we see in the scriptures in Titus and Timothy, we'll see uh, another passage I think that kind of goes complementary is Proverbs 31. And so, ladies, um, you know, we look out into the world today, and you might say, you know, there's a lot of crazy chaos going on, and I think that um, because our, our world is broken, you know, we've taken our children and we've asked the, the public schools to raise them. We, you know, they're watching television and they have all this influences of social media and all the other peers that are pressuring them. And that's part of the reason our nation is so broken. But when moms and dads begin to assume their responsibilities according to the scriptures, one child at a time, uh, as we enter into that type of relationship with God, that brings healing to our nation. And it's not too late. I, I feel like, you know, we can't give up. And so um, prayerfully, uh, you're a wise woman and you build your house according to God's wisdom. Uh, prayerfully, you're not foolish and then you won't tear it down with the way that you live your life. Uh, in case you're wondering, I, I really believe this, and I, 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 know, I don't know, I really hope that you guys understand that the calling of a homemaker, because sometimes people in our society, they might look down on a woman who didn't go and get a career or, or go and, and get a job. Uh, unfortunately, it, it's weird, it's bizarre to me. They might look down on such a, a lady, but I honestly believe that that calling as a homemaker is probably the highest calling of all. They say an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. And so, uh, verse 2, it says, He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. And so, you know, whether or not an individual really esteems God and, and has that heart for God, it is seen in his walk the way he lives his life, right? Our walk is our daily moral journey. Every step we take, that's our walk. And here we see the commendation is for the one who walks in uprightness and, and fears the Lord. You know, I, I pray that that's our walk, that that's our life, you know. I don't know about you, but man, it consumes me. Like, uh, Lord, I want you to have every thought and every word and every deed and every action, all that I am, all day long. It, it all belongs to you. That, that's our walk. And when it's upright, you know, then it, it's an awesome thing to see. You know, how, how is your walk? Proverbs sixteen seventeen tells us that, that the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. In 1 Kings 3, 6, we see that David walked in uprightness. Of heart. You know, I was thinking about how important our walk is, especially in light of last Sunday's study 
uh, Rich shared on the rapture of the church. And if you remember, he went back to Genesis chapter 5, and he, he brought up an individual by the name of Enoch. And the Bible says in, e in Genesis 5 verse 24 that Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. As a matter of fact, it says there in Genesis that Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Think about that. 300 years, then he had children, then he walked with God longer, and then he got raptured. Now, we look out in the world today, and I don't know the, the day or the hour, but it sure seems like the season. And, you know, I, I think the Lord's going to take his church, and so, you know, hopefully there's an assurance and a peace in your heart that you are the bride of Christ. But if you're not walking with God, if you're not walking according to the word, um, you might get left behind. And the Bible says that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that there, you're going to be sent a strong delusion. And so it's not days to walk according to the world. You read Psalms 1 and it talks about the dichotomy between such individuals. You know, here it says that, that he was perverse in his ways. He despises God. You know, one here is a true and committed convert. And the other, it says he is perverse in his ways. One's a, cr a true Christian convert. The other's a pervert. That's what the Bible says. Verse 3, it says, in, in the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Or as the NLT puts it, a, fo a fool's proud talk becomes a rod that beats him, but the words of the wise keep them safe. You know, and so one view of the passage is like, you know, if you're um, not talking right, then someone's going to smack you in the mouth. You know, maybe it'll be God, maybe someone else. Have you, any of you guys ever got snapped in the mouth by your mom or something? I'm just curious. You wouldn't raise your hand, huh? Maybe uh, you got washed out with soap or something. Um, and, and so the mouth of a fool is a rod. It's a rod of pride. And so one view is that, you know, you, you talk dumb, you talk trash, and God will deal with you, God will discipline you, or others will too. There's a fight, and blows will be thrown, right? That's what happens when you're talking stuff like that. Proverbs 18.6, it says, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. And so one view is that it's the rod of pride that brings punishment to themselves and enters into that contentious fight. But another way of looking at this passage is that our words themselves can be rods, and we can use them to beat down others. I remember one time Dr. Beloyan was sharing, and he's a, a professor. Or he used to be a professor at Azusa Pacific University, and, you know, this guy, he's a, he's a gentle guy. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even think he has a mean bone in his body, but he's a very smart man. And he would talk about how when he and his wife would get into disagreements, how he, and I don't think he was bragging, but I just think he was actually confessing, he was just talking about how he could win that argument every time, and he can slice her up and dice her up with his intellectual gifts. And, and, you know, you might win an argument, but you might lose your marriage. You might win whatever your point, you make your point with your kid, but you might lose your child. 
You know, so there's different ways of looking at this rod of pride. It could be that you get hit. It probably more than likely means that you hit others. And how so many children, so many people walk around with deeply marred and messed up lives because of the mouths of others, wounded with words. They're confused. They've been accused and they're verbally abused. And so... You know, the positive po side of the passage, it says that the lips of the wise, they bring preservation. And so ultimately we know basically that good words of wisdom are good for us and they're good for others. And so if there's one thing that when you read the Proverbs, man, if there's one thing that you're going to walk away with is that you have to set a guard over your mouth. And you have to ask God to keep watch over the door of your tongue because every single word matters. I remember things that were told to me, just a sentence that was thrown randomly out by someone that wasn't thinking that are still stuck with me. And so we'll, we'll see that a lot as we go through Proverbs, you guys. It's just so cool to study the Proverbs because by the time we're done, hopefully, we're going to be people who have actually tamed their tongue. It's a different life. Verse 4, it says, Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. You know, eventually, this became one of my favorite verses because I have uh, a little bit of OCD in me. Uh, at least I did at one time. Any of you guys are, are neat? Any of you guys neat freaks? I'm just curious. Not no one. Oh yeah, a couple maybe. Um, I know that like it drives me crazy, and I have all my books, uh, you know, set a certain way. And Jerry would come in, and he would kind of twist them around and kind of mess with me, and you know. But I wanted everything to be nice and neat, completely clean. I I just hate the concept of clutter. But basically, I've learned that not everybody's like that. And, uh, and so if you really want to live life, you're going to have to accept the fact that it's not going to be clean all the time. And, and that's kind of what we see in this verse right here, you know. I mean, because we need the increase that comes from the strength of, of an ox or the strength of spiritual workers, we need that way beyond the concept of a clean building, um, we accept that, you know? I mean, think about it like in a church, right? If no one shows up, then we'll have nothing to clean up. But you'd rather have people show up, right? Because there's an increase when we get together and then we, we grow up, okay? And so, I mean, I'd rather have, um, some people might look at the seats. Sometimes in the sanctuary, you know, we're going to get new chairs. Praise God for that. It's going to be cool. Because the ones over there are dirty. I didn't want to tell you until we get new ones, but they're pretty dirty. <laughs> and so, you know, you look at the chairs and you're like, man, you know, they got dirty and you get all upset about it. But, you know, I praise God that there's someone is sitting, sitting there. You know, because if you wanted to, you can have the alternative. No one shows up. Your seats are always clean. You know, if you're going to have kids, you know, in the sanctuary, you're probably going to get a few crumbs. I'd rather have the kids. I, I, I'll accept the crumbs because of, of the kids, you know? I mean, you know, even the restrooms, praise God that they get dirty. Praise God that those trash cans need to be emptied. Because if everything stayed clean all the time, 
then that would mean that, there, that no one's there. And so um, where there are Christian people, uh, there will be things to clean up, but there will also be purpose. There will also be productivity. And in your life, you know, not to compare you guys to an ox or anything, but an ox is symbolic of working hard. God is using you. God is using you to, you know, break down the fallow ground. God is using you to plant seeds. God is using you to water seeds. God is using you to save souls. Verse 5, it says, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. And so this is a pretty simple verse, but it's, it's really big. You know, here basically we see that if you lie in court, then you subvert justice. And so if that happens, then an innocent life can be ruined or even taken. And through the fabrication of a false witness, a horrible felon might actually be freed. And so, but it, but it doesn't just happen in the courtroom in front of a judge and jury. It happens in life, right? The things that we say. And so I just pray that we come to a place as Christians where every word is, is, is spoken according to the will of God. And that we would never, ever, ever, please, I beg of you, never, ever be willing to lie. Even if you think, well, I need to, to lie, exaggerate, you know, kind of like get myself out of a situation. Because once someone catches you in a lie, then they can never trust you again. I mean, it's very difficult to re-earn that trust. And so, you, you know, I, I pray that we would have that conviction. Really, the capacity to lie in any way reveals in all reality a wickedness in the core of who we are because lying is a language of Lucifer, right? John 8, 44, Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. You know, and it, it happens in the little things. Mijo, did you eat those cookies? No, Mom. You know, you got crumbs right here, you know. And it starts there. Listen, if you can lie, then you can do anything. Because you just lie about it, right? That's what Alistair Begg said. You know, I pray that we would just have that heart. I remember there was what's one I Love Lucy episode, and I don't remember all the details about it, but... You know, she made a, an agreement with Fred and Ethel and Ricky that she had to tell the truth for 24 hours, and she had a hard time. <laughs> but she also said that it was it was freeing, and I and I think it is. I was in, I was fascinated because you know when I was looking up this uh, whole concept of of you know not lying, I remembered the story about George Washington. You guys remember the story about George Washington? They, they said that when he was a, a, a young boy that. Um, his father had seen that the cherry tree had been damaged or cut down. And so he asked uh, George, did you cut this down? And, and, you know, he could have lied to protect himself. But George Washington said, I cannot tell a lie. You know, I, I cut down the, the cherry tree. But it turns out that that story was a lie. Did you guys know that? It, it, that's not a true story. And that story 
was actually given because when George Washington died, people wanted more information about him. And so it was a minister who wanted to kind of send out this, uh, you know, positive light and just the virtue of our first president. And it was actually a minister who made that up. And so um, interesting story. But um, for us, at the end of the day, my prayer is that we would always tell the truth. Verse 6 says, A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but, an, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. You know, maybe some of you grew up and you weren't that smart in school. Uh, some of you probably were. But when you're a Christian and we're talking about the Bible knowledge and the knowledge of God, it's a lot different. If you're here with a hungry heart, if you're here with an open heart, then it's going to come easy to you. You're going to learn about God. You're going to learn this Bible. God's going to teach you things. It's going to come easy. But, but the scoffer, it says in verse 6, he seeks wisdom, but he just can't find it. No, maybe it's because they're not saved. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so you got some guys, the Bible says they're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, they don't really get to that place of understanding the things of God. The scoffer is the mocker, the scorner, the cynic. And they're able, never able to come to that place. But the one who reads his Bible and listens to the voice of the Holy Spirit with a submissive heart, man, God is going to teach that person. And you watch what happens. Verse 7, it says, Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. And so um, this might be referring to someone that you're, you know, you're tempted to argue with. Some may be called to dispute with that individual, but you got to make sure that that is the calling from God. A lot of times that person doesn't even want to listen. They're not really open. And God says you don't have to feed, you know, the, that precious time, the pearls to the swine. Verse 8, it says, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. The NIV puts it this way, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their way. Or the NLT says, The prudent understand where they are going, but fools deceive themselves. And so imagine getting in your car and just like driving. And, you know, you're stepping on the gas, you know, you're using your blinkers, whatever, you're, you're moving at the speed limit, but you don't even know where you are. There are some people like that in their life. They don't even really know their spiritual geography. You know, the, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, right? I remember when Adam and Eve fell and God came looking for them in the garden. Remember what he said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't that God didn't know where they were physically. It's just that Adam didn't really know where he was spiritually. And I think for all of us here, if you get with God and you slow down a little bit, he'll tell you where you're at spiritually. You know, like Elijah, when he was running from God and he was out there and, you know, the Lord's like, 
Elijah, you know, what's going on? Where are you? Or I was even thinking of the prodigal son. When he was out there and just eventually he came to a place where he's eating pig's food. And then finally a light turned on. And he just said, hey, I'm in the wrong place. I need to go back to my father because even his servants live a life better than this. And so, I don't know, all of us here are, are in different places. You have different callings. But there is a personal God who will tell you where you are and where you need to be. And I believe that he has gifts and callings and anointings upon your life. He has people that he wants you to text or call or visit. There's things that he wants you to do. When you're wise, you understand your way. But unfortunately, the, the folly of fools, they're deceived about their location. Verse 9, it says, Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. And so the fool uh, ridicules any concept of right and wrong. But a life of obedience to God and his word, what we see right here, is a favored life. You know, um, we're living in a world now where Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, it says they, they're saying that good is evil and evil is good. We live in a world of what's called cultural relativism where they say that there's no absolutes because they don't believe in God, really. And at least, you know, they don't in a practical sense. You know, and so what we have to do is come back to the place where um, God is on the throne. And, and, you know, there, I remember when I first got saved, there was a bumper sticker. It was a Christian bumper sticker. And it said, uh, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And so people had that Christian bumper sticker for a while until eventually that kind of got exposed. I remember one pastor, he said, no, that's not how it goes. He said, God said it, and that settles it. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe it. You know, some people believe, well, it's okay to have sex as long as, you know, we, we love each other and, you know, we're, we're eventually going to get married. Absolutely not. You know, whatever God says is right. God said, you know, I created them male and female. It's very clear. It doesn't matter what the inclination of someone's flesh says. You know, we've talked about this before. As a man, you know, if we just went by what we want to do, we'd probably be with multiple women. Because that's what our bodies tell us to do. But, but God says, no, I want you to be pure until you get married. And then when you get married, you stay faithful to your wife. Because God said it, and that settles it. And anything outside of that is sin. You know, we live in such a crazy world right now. I, I, um, Oscar was telling me, and I, I know I had heard something about this uh, legislation about, you know, basically legalizing, you know, pedophiles. I mean, this is crazy, the world that we live in. But one day, all these people, they're going to have to stand before God. You know, we don't mock at sin. You know, God is the one who determines what's right and what's wrong. Verse 10, it says, The, the heart knows its own bitterness, and a, and a stranger does not share its joy. And this is a graphic illustration of the individuality of each person. 
You know, the, the, the history of the soul is only fully known and felt by the conscience subject. You know, the heart knows its own bitterness. You know, some of you here, you've been through tremendous trials. And you can try to communicate that to others. Or sometimes maybe you're embarrassed or maybe you just can't. You don't even know how to. But you know, huh? All the pain, all the struggles, all the failures, all the turmoil, all the storms within. You know that. You know, there's an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians 2.11. It says, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? You know, so we, we know what's inside. God knows what's inside. We probably don't know as much as God by any means, but we definitely know the most about ourselves. And so, you know, that's the world that we live in. That's the struggles that we have. Not just the bitterness, but also the joys. You know, no one else can fully share the joys. And so I don't know if you can articulate or if you can communicate what's going on inside the bitterness or the joys. It's kind of cool when you have someone like a friend or a spouse that you can share your heart with. But ultimately, huh, the closest one we have is God. And you can tell God everything. And that's why it's such a sweet and personal relationship with him. Not just the bitterness, but even the joy. You know, I remember when David was bringing back the Ark of the Covenant uh, to Jerusalem, the city of David, and he was so happy. He was so happy that he was dancing, that he was dancing, that he was twirling around. That's how much joy he had because the Ark of the Covenant, it symbolized the perpetual presence of God. And David loved God. And so he was just so happy. The joy was so immense when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back. But you guys remember uh, Michal, or I don't know how you pronounce her name, Michal. She, she saw him and she despised him. And she said, look at that king of Israel over there, you know, dancing around in front of all the girls. What, why was she like that? Because she wasn't able to enter in to the joy that he had. And so just that, uh, as far as people, who we are, um, interesting. Uh, Charles Bridges said, No less personal is the heart's joy. It lies deep within. Michal could understand David's bravery, but not his joy. She knew him as a man of war, but not as a man of God. Verse 11, it says, The heart of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. And so a lot of people think that if I get a nice house, then that's, that's the answer. That's like the American dream, huh? I was reading a story about uh, a man in India, and uh, I, I wish I could tell you his name. I have it written down over there. But his, his, he was in a caste system, and they were stuck in this job. They were stuck in this place, and they can't, you can't move out of it, you know? And so what his job was, was to catch rats every day. And so he would get paid uh, five cents for every rat he caught 
because the reason he was catching rats is because the farmers they wanted him to because that would then you know help them with their crops because the rats were eating their crops and so for for years think about it your your job is catching rats you get five cents for every rat and so he would catch about five rats a day but then there was like this invention they came up with where they were able to kind of smoke out the rats. And uh, I guess what ended up happening was then he was able, I mean, just business exploded. And he was able to catch 20 rats a day, 20. And he was holding them up. They're big fat ones too. They're kind of cute. And so he's catching these rats. And just, man, it's amazing. They tell his story now he's up to a dollar a day. Never made that much money, man. Imagine that, you know, four or five times the amount you were making previously. And after each day, they followed him home. He would bring all the rats, and now his family had food every single night. And so they showed a picture of him, and he's in this, uh, he's in this hut, wa walls of mud, this floors of dirt, roof of hay and he's feasting with his family and homeboy is happy happy why is that because contentment has nothing to do with the amount of wealth or the the the, the size of your house what we see right here it's the it's a tent of the upright that flourishes and it's true you guys it really is. I'm reading this book right now. It's called Contentment. And uh, I'm learning a lot. You know, living in the United States of America is a very, it's a challenge for us as Christians because it just seems like you never have enough. So be careful with that. And we're going to talk a lot about this, how the ten of the upright flourishes. Verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, and, and what you find right here is that there is a way of life that looks harmless enough and virtuous enough. But if you look again, it actually leads straight to hell, right? You know, Jerry Bridges again said, No one can doubt the end of open ungodliness, but other paths in the broad, in the road seem right but will also end in death. Now, sometimes you get people who think, well, I'm good, I've never killed anybody, or I'm sincere, and this is the religion that you follow, and it, it seems right. It just seems right. We live in a world, and they just feel like, no, this is right. It seems right. But what we see right here is that it leads to death because there ain't no religion, there ain't no morality that can save you. Only Jesus can, right? I mean, you might be a good man with good intentions and you got a good religion, but you're not good enough. None of us are. This morning in my devotional reading, I was in Isaiah chapter 53 and how the Bible says the Lord laid on him all our sins. And he was a sacrificial lamb to die for us. And so be careful. You know, people think, well, this seems right or this seems good. It's God is the one who says. Verse 13, it says, Even in laughter the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth 
may be grief. Laughter, it conceals a heavy heart sometimes, but when the laughter ends, there are those days where the grief remains. And so can you visualize somebody? Um, they're kind of hiding, they're hurt through that, you know, whatever, that, that lifestyle. Uh, uh, I was thinking of some that have actually committed suicide, uh, thinking of individuals like Robin Williams, uh, Ray Combs. He was the host of Family Feud and Family Challenge. Uh, Freddie Prince. I don't want to tell you how it happened because we have kids here, but uh, it just it's just heartbreaking to see. And you look at these guys and you think they're so funny and they're so happy, but a lot of times it's just it's just a facade, right? I mean, this is why. Here's something I want to share with you guys tonight and ask you: just be real. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to put on a show. If you're hurting inside, tell the Lord. Give him all the pieces of your broken heart and he'll heal it. If you're hurting inside, open up. You know, sometimes the Lord will use a friend, someone that you can trust. Because otherwise what ends up happening is we're wearing masks and we're hiding the pain. When in all reality, we, we shouldn't hide it. We shouldn't hold it in. We got to give it to God. In the world, and especially in the world of entertainment, laughter and tears, they go hand in hand. And that's why we see it, so many comedians commit suicide after years of battling depression. And so, open up, you guys. Let's just be real. You guys know that this is not a museum of saints. This is a hospital for sinners. Okay? Verse 14, it says, The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. Now, this is an interesting passage because, I don't know, I think in one sense when I look at it, I think, well, the only way you could go backwards is if somehow you've gone forward. I, I think that this has to deal with God's people who somehow entered into a covenant or a relationship with God and then somehow they went backwards. You know, Jeremiah 7, 25, it talks about individuals like that. Or Jeremiah 15, verse 6. And the interesting thing about this passage is that it looks like they're, you know, doing good because this is just a backslider in heart. It is possible to appear to be going forward as a disciple in the right direction. There you are on the outside looking good to everybody superficially apparently okay when in all reality internally and spiritually the person is backslidden you know a man may be, may be thought of as an eminent saint but maybe a backslider in heart you know there's a secret cancer of uh, unwatchfulness or conformity to the world or neglect of their relationship with god or indulgence in the world that's sapping their strength this individual who was once pressing forward now seems to be lukewarm. You know, it's interesting in Acts chapter 7, verse 39, you know, Stephen was talking about the people of God that would not obey. They rejected Moses, and in their hearts, it says they turned back to Egypt. You know, a good man, it says, will be satisfied from above. You see, God feeds the good man from a stream that flows from higher springs. 
And so Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You guys know, huh, that there's no amount of money, uh, there's no amount of material possessions, there's no promotion, there's no thing that this world has to offer. I don't care if you got it all. It would never satisfy you. But you enter into a relationship with God and you start surrounding yourself with the people of God and you watch the peace that he gives you. Verse 15, it says, The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. And so to believe every word of God is faith, but to believe every word of man is foolish. Uh, there's this word they use to describe that. It's called credulity. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. But to believe every word of man, I would say, is insanity, huh? <laughs> I mean, man, it's crazy, the world that we're living in now. There's so much fake news. There are twisted headlines that will just make your mind, you know, blow a fuse. I, I, there was this one story of uh, this two officers that, um, they pulled over a, a man, and the man shot the two officers. And then another officer came, and the officer shot the man who shot the two officers. But when you read the headline, the headline seems to indicate that the officers had done bad. And it's all a lie. It's just like trying to twist, omit facts. And so what do we have to do, I think, as a society? Uh, we don't believe everything. I, I was listening to a study by Pastor Chuck, and it's kind of funny. I actually like this part of it. He said that, um, that he used to have a pastor on staff because he had multiple pastors, and there was one of them that was really gullible. And he said the other pastors would have a field day with him. They would come in, and they would tell him stories, and he'd be like, oh, really? And I thought, man, that's me. I... <laughs> I I kind of tend, and, but now I'm learning. Okay, Lord, by nature, I, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. I, I'm very gullible, but Lord, I'm learning this verse that I can't believe every word. And even, you know, things that people send me, I check everything. I want to make sure that, you know, we have information uh, that is true. It's interesting how it says right here, but the prudent considers well his steps. And so uh, basically the way it works is that when you're a prudent man, you hear things and then that leads to your thoughts and that eventually leads to your steps. And so we want to be Bereans in, in everything. Verse 16, it says, A wise man fears and departs from evil but a fool rages and is self-confident. And so the wise, some of you guys can probably relate to this. I think most of us can. Um, we, we get uh, mad so fast. You know, we just got a short fuse. Um, that's the fool. They're, they rage and they're, and they're, they're self-confident. But a wise man, he has a healthy fear. It's the fear of God, the fear of sin, the fear of grieving God. And he departs uh, from evil. Verse 17 is similar. It says, A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. And so 
The quick-tempered man is the explosive man reacting in situations. But here, here's something that we talked about real quick. We only got one more verse, but listen. We, most of the Proverbs that we've gone over are what's called antithetical parallelism. You know, you read a point, and then there's a but, and there's a contrast, right? But this right here is what's called synthetic parallelism. And so you have a point, and then it kind of expands in the second part of the sentence. And here you have a quick-tempered man who acts foolishly, but a man of wicked intentions. Ooh, that's even worse. And so the, the quick-tempered man, he, he kind of reacts, but the man of wicked intentions is the man with deliberate calculations to do evil. Here's the individual who plans to do wickedness, and the Bible says he will be hated. Last verse, verse 18, it says, The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. I thought this was a cool verse. Um, again, the naive are clothed with foolishness. And, you know, such is the inheritance of the children of the first Adam. And so, you know, if that's you, you want to stay that way, then, you know, you will inherit foolishness. But if you want to move from that Adam's family to God's family, if you want to get wise, and we talked earlier about how it's easy to learn when your heart is open, he says, then the prudent will be crowned with knowledge. And I want to close with this. Have you ever been crowned? You know, have you ever had that experience? I would imagine it's a pretty cool experience. I know some of you here, maybe you were prom queen or prom king or whatever the case may be, homecoming or whatever. Um, I don't know. To me, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been crowned anything, you know, but how many of you think that would be kind of cool one day, you know, getting that crown? But in this case, it's the crown of knowledge. It's the crown of, of the reward of the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his word. First Corinthians 9 verse 25, it calls it an imperishable crown. And so it's not a laurel crown or a gold crown. It's not a crown that perishes, but it's the crown that adorns people with light and holiness and joy and the glory of eternal life. And so, again, encourage you guys to know that as you're reading the Word and as you're reading the Proverbs, God's going to give you a lot of wisdom. You're going to have the skill of living life successfully. But you want to know something else? The Bible says that in Jesus are hidden all wisdom and all knowledge. And as we enter into that relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, let that be number one in your heart. Let that be everything to you. I mean, we're not plain church. We are his bride. We are his people. My prayer is that we would be able to live a life. And you guys would be so blessed with wisdom and blessings because along the way you were crowned with knowledge that's found in Christ.